0: Titus chapter 2 as we do our Bible study this evening. If you didn't get the notes, we'll make sure that we walk through the odd term and hand that to you while we do a brief Bible study. Then we'll do a little bit more singing and do a communion this evening. Years ago, I don't remember what the occasion was, but somebody gave me a very expensive shirt or sweater that they said, we got this gift for you. We want to give it to you. And I, if I recall right, Deb and I were trying to think about it when we were talking today. And I, I think I led somebody to the Lord and they wanted to give a gift back. And so they gave me this really expensive expensive sweater. That was beautiful sweater. And it was made out of lamb's wool. And so it was really, really this nice sweater. My wife washed it. <laughs> it was as stiff as a rock and about yay big in just one washing. It's amazing what happens sometimes. We get these precious gifts and we're not, if we're not sure how to handle them, We can just really blow it. That's what happens to a lot of families. God gives us the gift of a spouse. God gives us the gift of children. God gives us the gift of brothers and sisters, siblings. God gives us the blessing of parents. And sometimes we wash them when we shouldn't. We do something and things go sour. And so what we wanted to do in this series is talk briefly and on a more of an advisory more of a counseling point of view rather than an exposition of all the different texts, but just talk about in some practical ways what do we do to avoid family issues. We're talking about this one topic this evening. How do you get your spouse to appreciate you more? For some of you, there's no problem. Your spouse couldn't be more appreciative of you. You are never disappointed by how much attention they pay you. You you are just, in fact, you would just wish they'd give you a little bit of space because they are forever loving on you. And you are always being lifted up. And you are just tired of being considered so wonderful. Right, right, okay. That's not where most of us are at. Most of us battle at times, and we said this last Sunday, we said, okay, to work on this getting appreciated and working on our relationship, some areas that we need to talk about, some areas that talk about communication, which we want to do in the next couple weeks, talk about, okay, being less selfless, talk about becoming what I'm supposed to be so my wife knows that I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do by the word of God, and that way, quite frankly, she would respect me more if I'm following what I'm supposed to be doing. It's tough to love somebody who you don't respect. But if I'm doing what God says, and she understands I'm making effort to do what God says, then there's going to be a greater respect, and as a result, the greater respect, there's going to be a greater appreciation and it'll help us together. We do not, we do not enjoy or appreciate when somebody, like our spouse or another family member, refuses to do what God tells them to do. And instead of showing that kindness, they're rude. Instead of showing, you know, a graciousness, they're nagging. We get those reactions and it pushes us away. So what we're talking about is what will draw my spouse towards me? What will help us in this relationship? I know some of you don't have spouses. I understand that. But this also does relate to other family relationships and should be able to help you to help some others out. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to pause last week and this week and talk about husband and wife stuff. And we're talking about those roles that God has given you. What has God said you're supposed to do? It's from Ephesians 5 where God says submit, get into the position you're supposed to do, submit to one another. And we talked last week about several roles that the husband has to do, according to Ephesians 5, and the wife has to do. Basically, there was four of them. Lead, love, men. Ladies, follow, and respect. Now, are there other things that are mentioned in the Word of God? And we talked last week, and we said there's going to be more. We'll talk with it tonight. But we closed last week saying, hey, don't take it for granted. You don't know how long you'll be together don't take it for granted. You don't know what difficulties will come and create more problems. And if you struggle with trying to do these tasks, remember the Lord will help you out. Except the Lord build a house, they that labor labor in vain. He's going to help you. Now, we need to go a step further tonight. What else did God tell the ladies to do? Let's talk about ladies first of all. Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, what happens in this text is he is saying, what I want you to do is I want you to tell the older woman to teach the younger woman. And he gives them several things that they should be talking about. One of the characteristic traits that he says he wants the older ladies to teach is found in Titus chapter 2. And if you jump down to verse 3, the aged woman likewise, that they in behavior has become a holiness. He goes on, he says, not false accusers, not given much wine, teaches of good things, that they may teach the young woman to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Let's take that middle phrase. That idea to love your husbands. If we dissect this, this uh, one phrase, here's what we got. We've got that this is, a, this is an idea that's for all the ladies. Okay? It is... It is universal, like we said, as husbands are to love their wives. And it's a thought where he's saying, I want you to teach the young ladies to do this. I want you to teach them to love their husbands. So the love he's talking about here is something that has to be growing, something that has to be building. It's something that is different than the emotions, as we'll see in a moment. But it's something you need to work on. It needs your attention. It just won't happen accidentally or incidentally. This is something you've got to work on. So older ladies teach younger women about this. The word that he uses is different than what he uses for the men towards the wives in Ephesians 5. This is phileo. This is friendship, love. This is that idea of feeling a deep camaraderie with somebody. This is the BFF idea. This is that idea that you are really going to work at being real close friends. Not just lovers, but friends. And the idea that here is the idea of delighting in somebody. It's the idea of being positive towards somebody. I think this, and maybe, maybe I'm just off the wall, but I think there's a difference between at times loving somebody and liking somebody. This is liking somebody. Not just loving them, but liking them. That they're an individual you want to be around. It's an individual that you have learned to accept them like you did your other friends. That this is who they are. Let's work at it. And so he says you've got to teach the younger woman to do this. This is something that the ladies have to learn. Ladies have to work on. Men have to as well. But he's pointing out that this is something that takes effort, takes energy to be that type of friend to your husband. Now, let's be practical about it. What would this look like? What advice would this be? Well, if I went to Proverbs and said, okay, friendship, this is friendship love. If I go by Proverbs and say, what principles are given in Proverbs that talk about building a friendship? These are a few of them. That if you want to be BFF towards your spouse, you have to remember these things. you got to be honest. You don't build a friendship by being deceptive. You don't build a friendship by keeping secrets. You don't go and buy things and then not tell your partner that you bought things. Okay? You don't say, well, I'm meeting and I'm going out and we're doing this with others, but I'm never going to tell him. That'll break trust. That'll break that confidence. It, it jeopardizes friendship. The idea is that if you're friends with somebody, you're going to be loyal to them. So ladies, what that means is something that you would want to work at is, we are going to stand by my husband's side. I'm going to protect his honor. Even if there's a midst of others who are upset with him. Even in the midst of of all of a sudden uh, some family issue is arising, I don't want to get involved with tearing him down. I don't want to be the critical one. I don't want to be piling on, if you would. That's not being a good, good friend that's supposed to be loyal. Principle. Talks in this text of Proverbs 27 about the counsel of a man's friend is somebody that you can go to. It's talking in this text about the sweetness of honey with words of encouragement. And he makes that comment, even the sweetness of a man's friend by his counsel. You want to be the type of person that what you're doing is you're, you're giving counsel. That doesn't mean you have to talk all the time. That, but it means that it has the idea that, okay, you want to listen, you want to be taught, you want to have communication. And l- let me see if I can put this in a perspective that, that might be a little bit shocking. Men don't always like to talk. Amen. Okay. And sometimes we don't want to, we're, we're thinking through what we're saying. It reminds me of going to Arizona, and a lot of you have been to Arizona. What do the Indians typically do? You ask a question and they stand there. In their culture, they are thinking before they speak. And the irritation for us Anglos when we go to Arizona is there's this 30-second. There's this minute pause. There's nothing being said. Therefore, we have to fill in the blank. We have to talk. We have to keep it because we don't like silence. We don't like pauses. And I know this happens in our communication at times. My wife will ask me a question. And I am pausing to make sure I'm thinking, how am I going to answer this? And while I'm pausing and thinking, she's thinking I'm being evasive. I'm being careful. (laughs) Ladies, give chance for carefulness without jumping in. Work at listening. Work at patience, even in the communication. Let me add something else. When we talk about being a friend, you should be a fan. You should be a cheerleader. You should be encouraging it. Verbally be supportive and cheer in the projects. Deb uh, Deb is really good at this for me. I am horrible at household projects, but I like to try. Because it's going to save me money, I say. Well, by the time the repairman comes in and fixes what I've done, we haven't saved a thing. But Deb has done this for years. She said, oh, you could do it. Yeah, right. She should be saying, don't you dare do it. But by being a cheerleader, she has helped to say, I think you could do that. Yeah, you did that. You did this. You did this. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, you fell through the ceiling. But we got it repaired. Being a cheerleader. Being supportive of those things. Okay? Friendship. Serve without having to be served do without saying, okay, but he's not doing back to me. We don't have to have conditional service. We serve because it's the right thing to do. Don't be disagreeable. I don't think any of you do this. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think you have friends that you hang around with who are always disagreeing with you, who are always finding fault, who are always, if you say it's black, they will say it's white. If you say, boy, a beautiful day, they will say it's a bad day. When we have people who are always disagreeable, what is our tendency? We don't want to be towards them, right? We put a little bit of distance. If you are disagreeable on a lot of things with your spouse, you are, be, you are all of a sudden making a gap, not bridging one. The idea of this, work at finding something like friends do find a common interest. Express an interest in the things that, that hobby of his that might interest him. You say, yeah, but he should do it. This isn't about him right now. This is about the ladies learning to love their husbands. It's not a conditional thing. It's like, what do you do to learn something about what interests him? Verbally be grateful for the time that you spend together. I know, Every, most of you are going to say this, I wish we'd spend more time together. I wish we'd spend more time together. I wish we'd go on more dates. That's great. There's that, that's a good wish. But after you go on a date, do you say thank you, or do you say, we should do this more often. I wish we would do this more often. I wouldn't be inclined to say, hey, let's go out on a date. Let's go do something. And the first thing that happens at the end of the date is, well, why haven't you done this more often? Well, wait a minute. My reaction is, if you don't appreciate it, I'm not going to do it again. Are you appreciative for what time you do spend together? Let me throw another thought. Put the cell phone down. Put it down. And this goes for both, both you know. I know. I know we bust on the teens for being on the cell phone. But, you know, let's, let's be honest about this the cell phone business can really intrude in conversation put it down just put it down okay when when you're driving down the road i've heard several people in counseling that have pointed this out we're driving down the road and the comment is he doesn't do a whole lot of talking and the retort is she's on the cell phone the whole time put it down put it down i know that the guys have to work on communication we'll get there with the guys give us a moment but put down the cell phone do you, ever, do you ever do this? Do you ever, when he's doing a project, just go in there? And you've got lots of things to do, ladies. You're busy. I don't, I don't mean to minimize that. But have you ever thought to spend 15 minutes of investment of your time to just go, if he's working on the car in the garage, just go out there and just watch and comment, commend on what he's doing? Well, I don't have that 15 minutes. That 15 minutes might be a great investment of you showing an interest in what he's doing of admiration. And you just taking a few minutes and saying, yeah, I just want to see how you're doing, see what you're doing, and just kind of, wow, I'm amazed that you can do that. Men love to be their egos stroked. Okay? Do it. Let me give you something else. Find some things that you can share and do that you can laugh together. It is so refreshing to just laugh together. Hey, maybe it's finding something, maybe it's coming up with some, on a daily basis, some goofy story that you can share with that you found, but laugh together. Work at being having fun together. Pray for him like a friend would do. Appreciate his study and knowledge of the Word of God. What I mean by this is this. You can read what I have up there. But so many times I've heard people say, hey, In our Bible study that we were doing, some of the ladies were getting together to do a Bible study. We came across this question. Can you answer it? Have you asked your husband? No. I'll ask the leader of the Bible study. 1 Corinthians says, ask your husband. Instead of running to other people, ask your husband. Relay to him that you would appreciate his understanding. And then please, 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 when he goes and does some study and finds out, don't say to him, well, I'm going to check with Pastor Wayne to find out if what you said is accurate. Okay, what have you just said to your husband? (laughs) You have just said to him, okay, I'm going through the motions of asking you, but I don't have any confidence in what you're saying. Great, great move for being his friend. Work at it. Work at genuinely, you know, focusing on those areas. Okay, something else that should happen with the ladies. In 1 Peter 3, join me there. We're going to jump there and then another passage. Go over to your right a little bit. In 1 Peter 3. Let's be a little bit more practical. 1 Peter 3 is talking to husbands and wives. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. We talked about that, okay, last week. If any obey not the word, they may also be one without the word, by the lifestyle of the wives. 1 Peter 3, verse 2. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning, or plating of the hair, the wearing of gold, putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, they adorned themselves. How? With that meek and quiet spirit, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any terror or with any amazement. Here, what we're talking about in this passage is make yourself attractive via your speech and your appearance. Both those topics are in this passage of how to make yourself attractive, ladies. Okay, what that means is you don't want to be nagging in your speech. What that means is you don't always have to have the last word. What that means is don't be putting him down time after time. Don't name call. Don't tear him down. Embarrass him. Don't unload on him all the complaints. As soon as he walks in the door, let's unload on all the complaints about how things aren't working around the house. That means, okay, when he's talking for those finally you got him to talk, you butt in, interrupt, and correct him. Don't do that. In fact, there are so many verses in the Bible that warn against this. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who shames him, embarrasses him, it says, is rottenness as, as rottenness to his bones. We read, it's better to live in a desert land than in a house shared with a brawling, a cranky, a crabby woman. There's so many texts that talk about this that keep on pointing out, wives, be careful. It is better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a quarrelsome, cranky woman. Why does he keep on bringing up, ladies, be careful. Ladies, be careful in the book of Proverbs. Because apparently in that society, the ladies were cranky. The ladies were were crabby. There were some ladies who were negative. He says a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a cranky woman, they're alike. That's water torture. That's what he means. Okay, He's saying in this text, to restrain her, to stop her, is like grabbing the wind or a, 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 some oil in your hand to hold it. It's just impossible. If, she, if there's that nagging, that complaining, that negative spirit. And he warns. The wisest man in the world, under the inspiration of God, is saying, please don't do this. You're going to drive your husband away. Okay, so he writes in a little bit further. He says, a wise woman builds her house, but the fools tear it down with her hands. Probably what he's talking about with her own efforts and usually with the mouth. And so in in this together, he's going to say, okay, ladies, be careful of your speech. And in 1 Peter 3, he makes it very clear. He says, put on a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is a treasure. Now, there's some truths here in what he's talking about. What he's talking about in this passage is giving a reality that's very important. A woman's inner beauty, the character, the conduct, her graciousness is considered superior than her external beauty by God and by most men. Oh yeah, can men be attracted, aroused by a woman's external beauty? Sure. But that which they say is the most compelling, that which is, I want to commit to this person, it is the inner person. It is that meek and quiet spirit that is going to draw the people. In fact, God encourages wives to work on this inner beauty, really work on this, more than the external, the jewelry, the plating of the hair, and all the robes, and all those manifestations of, of you know, we're successful, those types of things. And he talks about in 1 Corinthians, some areas of appearance that we're going to talk about in just a couple of minutes. But he is saying, focus on this. Focus on the inner beauty traits. Teenage ladies, young ladies, you're growing. You say, okay, I'm interested in finding a man someday. Getting married, having a family. If you want to develop traits that God says are the most important, here they are in this text. It's not necessarily, okay, what do, I, do I get the, the most expensive makeup? Do I get the fanciest hairdos in this text? And by the way, in the culture that they're living in, that was what they considered the most important. He is writing to the ladies of this culture, and he said, here's what you really work on. You work on, and he gives several things in this passage, okay? A spirit that is demonstrating that you will follow. That you are not having to be in charge. Attitude, actions that indicate that you are willing to follow this guy's leadership. He talks about in verse 2, as we already read, a chaste conversation. It's pure. It's words that are, words that are holy. It is speech that means you get rid of the cuss words. It means that what you do is you in your, in your pattern of living, you get rid of the dishonesty, the lying. You're going to be pure. You're going to be chaste. He talks about the meek, the gentle, and quiet spirit. That is the idea, okay, don't, you don't have to be loud. You don't have to be, when you come in the room, everybody notices you're there. You, you know, I'm going to be loud enough that everybody knows I'm here, I'm here. He says that is not what is attractive, both to God or to most men. And he talks then at the last thing he says okay be very work at being respectful even like Sarah the idea isn't that she bowed down and said lord lord the idea is she was respectful in her speech towards her husband she used manner she used customary speech calling him lord that was a title that was appropriate for them but she showed her husband respect in her speech those are the inner qualities respect self control A godly purity that he says is more important, it is superior to all the makeup, all the fuss. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with the makeup and the fuss. But he says this is far superior. This is far more important, far more attractive. These traits do not mean that you are then becoming your husband's doormat. These do not mean that whatever the husband tells you to do, you follow him even unto sin. He makes it very clear in this passage. You have that unsaved husband. He wants you to do wrong. No, you do what's right. You live chaste. You live pure. Some will say, well, this indicates a weak character. Just the opposite in the text. That verse 6 where he made that comment, where he says that you do this without fear as long as you do well, it takes a very strong person to say no to temptation. It takes a very strong woman not to follow what the crowd is saying and be loud and boisterous and be one who is going to put down her husband. It takes somebody with real grace, real self-control to say I am going to be careful what I say, and I'm going to be respectful. Even sometimes when I'm irritated, I'm not going to give in. And I'm going to do what's right. Even though it may not be benefiting me right away, I'm going to do what's right. That takes real character. That is strength. That is not weakness. To do what God has called you to do, according to this text. Now, we made this observation, okay? that I already said that, hey, you're supposed to make yourself attractive to your husbands, according to this text. Okay, this text doesn't deal with it a whole lot. It just says, okay, don't let it be all, all the outward apparel. But he doesn't mean by that text you shouldn't be concerned whatsoever. He isn't saying, okay, don't plate the hair, that is, do the hair do up. Don't put on the jewelry. This text is not forbidding wire rim glasses. Okay, it isn't forbidding makeup. It isn't forbidding that you cut your hair. Okay, if it's forbidding all those things, it's also forbidding clothes. Okay. Think that through. Okay. If you look at the verse, if he is saying it's wrong to plate the hair, wear gold in verse three, he is saying it's wrong to wear apparel. None of us would say that's what he's doing. He's saying the emphasis on it is what's wrong. You don't want to put the emphasis on. So what you do is say, okay, what does the Bible tell me? Well, the Bible says it's important to be careful how you dress. In fact, in Timothy, he writes to the ladies, he says, ladies, you dress yourselves. But well, when you dress yourselves, you should be concerned about what is the style. You should be concerned about what is faddish, appropriate. He says in here, adorn yourselves in modest apparel with shame, face it, and sobriety. The modest is well arranged. We often think the modest is the idea that the modest in this passage is talking about, okay, you know, you know the length and, and all those things. The word literally means well arranged on you. That it looks good on you. That it's appropriate for you and suitable to the occasion. When you talk about the word shamefacedness, this is with humility that's dignified. That it's the idea of you're not showing off with you know, something that's just you know, having to draw attention to your physical features. You're going to be humble about it. You're going to be. Mo- you're going to be that, that's where we get more of our modern-day modesty. The idea, the idea of sobriety is you give thought. You give thought to what is appropriate, what is fashionable, what, what is there. You give thought to wearing what looks good on you and is appropriate for without being crass with your figure. That's what he's talking about in this passage. Ladies, you dress yourself. You do that. So God does have a concern about appearance. But if you go to 1 Corinthians 11... Here is a principle about appearance uh, that you that about making yourself attractive that is so important but often overlooked. First Corinthians 11, ladies. He's talking to you in this text where he talks about, okay, let the husbands be the leaders and we've already looked at that last week but watch what he says in the course of this passage. He says as he goes on, every man praying or prophesying in 1 Corinthians 11 down in verse 4, having his head covered, he dishonors his head. But every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head for that she is, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if a woman be not covered, let her be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, then let her be covered. And you go, what in the world? Remember in Corinth that the only ladies who went out in public when they didn't have a veil of some sort were those who were immoral, those who were, who were bad ladies, who were bad mothers, and their head was shaved to show that they had been caught in some type of immoral thing. Or they were an adulteress. They were a prostitute. And they would leave the covering off, the veil off, and it was their calling card that they were an immoral woman. The Corinthian ladies are getting saved and they say, well, if the men don't have to wear coverings on their heads, then why should we? And he's saying, oh, no, 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 time out, Paul is writing. He says, you need to dress in a way that you do not shame yourself or the cause of Christ. You need to look and say, what is culturally acceptable that, spe- that gives me a good testimony. <laughs> you don't want to, as a believer, be walking around in public in Corinth without the veil on because you're making yourself to be classified as an immoral woman. You're going to shame your head, that is your husband, First 1 and 2. He says you're going to bring shame to him and shame to yourself. So in this text, God is concerned about how you dress in public. In this text, he is saying, you, you dress in a way that it promotes a good godly testimony. In this text, he says, ladies, you wear what is culturally modest and appropriate. In this text, he is saying, married woman, you be careful what you dress like because of how that affects your husband. That it would embarrass him and as well, it would attract him. Okay? In the sense that what is, how is his response? Is this something that he would he would say, This looks good on you? This is something that is appropriate. Be concerned about your appearance, that it is respectful and is in towards your husband. So you're dressing, you're looking and saying, Honey, what do you think about what I'm wearing? You want his opinion. You don't want to be disrespectful. And so you should be concerned of how you look so that you are attractive to your spouse. That's what this text is talking about. That's what the passage is talking about. Uh, Be attractive in your speech. Be attractive in your appearance towards your husband. And so he's talking about basically being this you, you, what he's telling you, be in love with your husband. That is, you be attracted to your husband as his BFF, but you make yourself attractive to him that he wants to be near you physically, socially, by your words and by your speech. So we ask ourselves some questions. We say, okay, how you doing in this? Do you adorn yourself with gracious speech at home? I know you do it here. Everybody does the right thing here, okay, but when you're home, does he find it appealing to have conversation with you because you're gracious does he Do you portray a sweet spirit towards him at home when you start talking about, okay, you know conversation is it honey or is it venom on your speech that's dripping here? You know, do you keep yourself looking nice in the sense that you're saying, okay, well, we're home, you know, and I work hard. And you do, okay? I understand that. You work very hard. But do you ever dress up for him, to be appealing to him? Or is frumpy? Be- hey, um, when we had who, who the missionaries, uh, she's from uh, Ukraine. He's from here in the States. They do the Bible translations. Oksana and Troy Troy Manning. So we go out to eat with them and Oksana is saying the most the most shocking thing in America is how people dress when they go to the stores. And I said, Well, have you ever gone to Walmart? Okay. (laughs) And see the different pajamas that are available. Yeah. Okay, Walmart and pajamas go together. I mean, if you really want to see it, go after midnight. Okay, that's really wild. And she said, in her country, and, and Bruce and Natalie had shared this before as well, in her country, nobody, nobody goes out of the, if they're working, like you and me, if, maybe you don't, but this is what I do. If I'm working on a project and I need to run to Lowe's, okay, I don't go in the house and change clothes. I know. I just, I continue wearing the suit and tie that I've been wearing all the time because <laughs> pastors always wear suit and ties, Okay. So, no, there's been more of you that I've run into at Walmart or I'm mean, at Walmart at Lowe's and you go, I didn't recognize you at first. You don't look like you do on Sundays. Yes, that's true. Praise the Lord. Okay. And so I just, you know, whatever I'm wearing in the sloppy clothes, I run to the store and I'm not embarrassed one bit. Okay. It doesn't bother me. And Oksana is saying, oh, that is so horrible. When Troy does that, I want to die. Okay. Okay. She has a point that sometimes, not, not that I'm going to change a whole lot, but that idea of sometimes we need to stop and say, how do I look? And he's talking in this text, ladies, be careful how you look at times towards your husband. You know, in dressing and saying, okay, I want to dress for him. I want to, I want to look nice for him, is the idea. And, since, and that's, you know, we, could, we talk, we talk real practical here, are you taking care of your body? So that you look attractive. I know our bodies change as we're getting older. I understand that. I'm doing it. We're we're living it. But being careful about the appearance to retain some of that attractiveness. That's important according to these texts. That you're working on okay, guys, let's go for you for your juggler for a little bit, okay? what does he tell the guys to do back in 1st peter 3 1st peter 3 there are three different commands that are given let's be practical as i kind of sail a little bit faster here in verse 7 likewise you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered here we go there are three different practical suggestions given for husbands towards wives in this passage giving honor Giving honor is to lift up your wife. That idea in this passage is to consider her as something precious. In verse 2, look back at chapter chapter 2, verse 7. It says about believers considering Christ as precious. The same word, tamao. Something very important. Something that is a treasure. He says, okay, just as you treasure Jesus Christ, he says you should have that attitude of treasuring your wife. Now, in this verse, here's an interesting thought. It is not commanded... That husbands treasure their wives. Giving honor is not a command. Literally, it's a participle. While giving honor unto your wife. When he says it that way, it is not a command. It is an assumption that men are doing this. That you are already giving honor. Continue giving honor unto your wife. To me, at times, assumptions are more impacting than a command. God is assuming that you are lifting up your wives. The question you have to ask is, are you? If you're not sure, ask her right now. Are you following this practice? The idea in this text, he goes on, he says, give honor unto her, lift her up as the weaker vessel. Okay, what's he mean, you know, as the weaker vessel? I know for some people that them is fighting words. Some ladies really, they, "Mm, what does he mean by this? Could he be, God's be making a statement of fact? Is he saying generally, ladies, bone structure, muscular structure, is physically weaker than men? Could he be implying that? Well, go to the baby ward where somebody just gave birth and say you are weaker than a man. Okay. Is he saying that this, is he suggesting, here's a comparison. Men, I want you to treat her as if she is weaker than you. She may not be. I mean, there are some Amazon women that could wipe out their husbands. I'm playing sports. George will remember this one. That when we were playing with a team thing up at Camp Calvary, we were playing football, and I went out for a pass, you know, going out there, running down in the snow, and I ran into Jean Bachman. She's a sweetheart of a saint taught at Calvary School down in Lancaster. And we both collided. She was doing defense. I was doing offense. And I was looking up at her afterwards. She was tough. Jean was a great athlete. And she was man of days. If she plowed into you, you were plowed. Okay? Sweet spirit, tender heart. But she was definitely not weaker than me. Okay? No way. But, he's saying, Is that, okay, if that were the case in your whoever you're related to here is that the case but you're supposed to treat her as if she were or is he saying here in this text that it's a simple statement of value that you treat her like you would something that is weak but priceless okay let's make the comparison you have regular dishes and you have china which ones you're going to be a little bit more careful with china typically okay Okay, because in a sense, it's, it's probably not as durable as some of the plates you normally use. And so he's saying, okay, this is what you should do. Now, which one is it? Or should we look at this and go, maybe it's all of the above. Maybe that's what he's talking about. That I'm supposed to be looking and saying, okay, my expectations of my wife is that I don't say if I can do it, she should do it as well. If I, if, if I can run on less sleep, phew, she should be able to run on less sleep. If I can lift up that end of the couch, the two of us lifting it together, if I can do it, she better do it too, or else. He is talking in this whole text about being very careful. I I remember telling you several years ago that we were in Arizona, and at the time we were visiting, we went to the zoo out there, and the truly, is I'm saying it right he did blowing glass. His international glass blower guy. And they had this huge display out there amongst the different animals. And oh, it's beautiful. We walked into the shop uh, where they said, oh, you can buy little little pieces of artwork that he had blown glass. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. We walked in and we were looking at this, this phenomenal display that was there, that was advertised all through Arizona. People were coming in just to see his our artwork and blowing glass uh, stuff. And we walk in and Deb picked up one one little ashtray. It was about this big. She said, Maybe we want it for a knickknack. And she picked it up, looked at it. The price tag was $525. And it was put that back very carefully. Okay. It was priceless. You drop it, you pay for it? No way. Okay. Put it back and be very, very cautious. Is that the way we're supposed to treat our wives? Something that God has given us that is priceless? that we treasure, that we're careful with. That seems to be what he's talking about in this text. That what you do is you lift her up by protecting her as the weaker one. You, you be careful about the physical threats. You be careful about the emotion. You be careful about the social attacks that are taking place. The idea is that you are valuing her. You are a gentleman. She is the lady. You are going to do good mannerly things okay, I do this not all the time, okay, not as, you know, and when I don't, you know, my wife is gracious enough to be the Holy Spirit and remind me that, okay, open the doors. So we're out here, and we came to work, you know, and we're leaving, we were leaving for lunch, I opened the door, and uh, got in the car, and we, we drove off. When I came back, and we got out, and I opened the door for one of the guys who was working, he said, you're not married, are you? You know, you two married? and i said yeah and you treat her like that and the answer is yeah we're supposed to where did, where did you get the concept that you don't treat your wife with manners of holding open the door this passage says okay let's be careful let's let's treat her not like one of the guys let's not say okay she's a buddy you know, she'll understand. We can roughhouse the buddies with our verbal, verbal assaults and they don't mind it when we bust on them and we tease. You know, the, the idea of he's saying you've got to know the limits. You can't push her too hard. Right about now my wife will say, okay when you're doing any kind of premarital and you're telling them, remind them what not to do what you did with, you, with us. And what is that? When I was eight months pregnant, you made me hold over my head the drywall piece while you were screwing it to the ceiling. And I was standing on a chair, and I was holding one end, and you got Alice Pietranudo, who is this tall, standing at the other end, holding it up, and I was doing it, and she says, you know, and we laugh about it. I don't think she laughed that night, but we laugh about it now. That is not what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be you know, tearing down or assuming. We're to be lifting her up, elevating her, doing that. There are some really good examples in this room of really being careful and cautious and honoring. And we could go and we could point out and we could say, hey, do what they're doing. And if I do that, some of you would be embarrassed and say, yeah, I wish I would do it more. I know if I sat here and said, okay, Alan, you've been a real good example of taking care of Barb through this illness, that you're going to say, yeah, I wish I could do more. But we do appreciate your example as a church body. You have been a good challenge for a lot of us in that regard. And as a result, we look and say, okay, we need to treasure our spouse. We need to look at them. Can I go a step further? For sake of time, let me hasten up. He says, dwell with them according to knowledge. That dwelling with them, some of you aren't going to like what I'm gonna, where I'm going to go with this at all but the dwelling with her according to knowledge has the idea of keep on dwelling with her it has the idea of abiding not leaving not deserting remember in that culture often the guy would have a mistress and he would have a wife she was the wife was on his arm for public political display. The mistress was where he spent most of his time. He's rebuking and saying, hey, now this is the person you're supposed to be dwelling with. You're supposed to be focused on. That you do everything possible to keep this relationship together. Gentlemen, you never say, you never say, well, if you don't like it, let's just get a divorce. That divorce word is out of the Christian vocabulary. You say, I do whatever I can to work with it. The dwelling literally means you closely align You stay right next to her. You abide with her. You know what the passage says that I don't like? It says that I am responsible for keeping the harmony in the home, not my wife. I am to take the initiative to make sure that if there's tension, that we address it. Not pretend it's gone and put it under the rug. And then she has to come and say, can we talk about it? Can we talk about it? Can we talk about it? Men, we are to be the ones in the home to make sure the harmony is there. We are to be working on it. Can I go where I'm going to tread and some are going to hate what I'm saying here? If I'm supposed to be creating a long term relationship with my wife, does it not say then that I should do something that men are really lousy at? Take care of my health? Yes? Yes? Doesn't it give the impression that you and I gentlemen are to have a healthier attitude about our health? That if we're supposed to be concerned about being around and having this relationship with our wives that this idea that we as men we don't need doctors, we don't need medicines, we're men. And if I go to the doctor because there's a problem I'm indicating weakness. Something non-masculine. This passage would imply and would challenge me to say, hey, listen, I don't have to have my wife playing, you know, my mom to try to push me to do doctoring. If I need to get something addressed medically, it needs to be addressed. And we need to take care of those areas because she needs me long term, not that I shorten it by not taking care of health issues. And I know I have just offended. No, I don't say it that way. I've just bugged a bunch of men in the room. Go to the doctors if you have a physical problem. For your wife's sake address it and get it taken care of. And the lady should say, amen. Okay, Because that's what they want the men to do. What else? Here's the last thing. Learn your wife. Love her leader. Lift her up. Live with her. Learn her. I gave it all else so guys it would be easy to remember. Okay, just for our sake. Learn the wife means to dwell with him according to knowledge. The word, that phrase according to knowledge is get to know your wife. Get to know her well. The story is about this. General calls the National Guard Armory and he says to him, soldier, who answered the other end some underling, he said, what's? give me the inventory that you have there. And so the soldier rattles off, we have this tanks, we have this here, we have this here, we have this this weapons, we have this here. And then he adds, and we have two large cars that, are, that we keep in store to haul around our big fat generals. The general on the other end says, soldier, do you know who you're talking to? The soldier responds, no, this is general so-and-so. And the soldier goes, whoops. And then the soldier at the other end says, uh, sir, do you know who you're talking to? And the general says, No, I don't. He says, Okay, fatty, and hangs up the phone. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes we need to know our audience, okay? I was reading some counseling books that were talking about a couple of different counselors that this one guy was saying when he was dating that he decided that his fiancé at that time, girlfriend fiancé, he was ready to pop the question, that it was her birthday and she talked about how you know she enjoyed watching him play baseball so he thought the perfect gift for her birthday was a catcher's mitt so she could play catch with him. He said he gave it to her, he shopped for it, he got the best one, he was so excited, he had put a lot of effort into it, she opened it, she got up crying, ran to the bedroom, and he thought, wow, she loves it so much that she's broken into tears. He said, it took me a while to figure out that was not the right gift. He didn't know her. This one married couple talks about how the wife says, when they were on their first anniversary that they enjoyed you know doing some boating and so the husband for the first anniversary presented her with an outboard motor for the boat yeah you know, and his you know his rationale was this is something we can do together you want to spend time together so i bought you an outboard motor for the boat she's talking about it and she's saying we were in we were out on a date for our 25th anniversary and we're sitting in the restaurant and she brings up and she says to him do you remember our first year of the anniversary gift? And he says, yeah, I bought you the outboard motor," <laughs> And she says, yeah, do you remember that gift? And he went on to describe the horsepower and everything about it. And he, and she's listening to him and he says, and you thought that? He says, it was the, one of the best gifts I ever gave you. After 25 years, he still didn't learn that that was not a great gift. Getting to know the individual, dwell with them according to knowledge, it's our duty. Gentlemen, it's our duty. It is also nearly impossible, but it is our duty to get to know them, get to know the goals, the battles, the fears, the struggles, the likes, the dislikes, her needs, her weaknesses, her strengths, getting to know her. How do you do that? You have to talk. In fact, you don't have to always talk. You have to especially listen. That means that what you do is you have to observe, you have to study. In the middle, middle of all the busyness of life, what is she doing? What is it? is she, is she look like she, this is something that bothers her? And I'm just going to pretend, okay, she didn't say anything, so it mustn't be that bad since she's not talking about it. I know she's crying and she's kind of sniffling a lot, but, you know, maybe that's just her hormones that are acting up. Okay? Hmm. Family life, ladies have contributed to this one article, no-nos that husbands should never do. The no-nos go this way. When your wife is sharing a problem, don't tell her how to solve it before she's finished. Okay? Listen. Listen. That is getting to know her. Just listen without saying, well, here's what you need to do. Boom. No-no. Don't tell your wife how she feels. You shouldn't be anxious. You're too sensitive. One of the worst things you can do is when she's upset, keep on saying, just calm down. Just calm down. It's your hormones. Them is fighting words. Here you go. (laughs) If your wife is trying to describe a hurt that you are responsible for, don't dismiss it. Don't just say, well, that's you. Be sensitive and be willing to take responsibility that you created a hurt. Don't justify. Don't excuse. You hurt her. I'm sorry. Please forgive me and help me to do better. No-no for husbands. Don't treat your wife as your mother, but as your partner. What it means by this is the woman wants to nurture and want to take care of the family. She doesn't want to serve you as a mom. She wants, to, she wants a man to help her around the house to do things, to help out. Okay, She doesn't need to be picking up after you all the time. You contribute to the things around the house. No-nos. Don't assume your wife views sexual intimacy the same way you do. Amen. Okay? Yeah. In this one, think this through. Now I'm not trying to be... I, I need to be careful because our mixed audience of ages and all. Every time there's any type of hugs and kisses, it doesn't mean we need to go all the way in sexual intimacy. For the ladies, just hugs, just being close without having to go all the way, that's important at times. And that is something that is saying that you and I, gentlemen, we should not underestimate just a hug, just the kiss, the holding of hands, shouldn't underestimate it and shouldn't have expectations of other things happening in that, in that physical arena. Be gracious, be romantic by understanding, dwelling in knowledge. Don't come home from work and think your job is done. Yep, I put in my full day, I come home and I just sit down and I don't have to do another thing that night. Uh, if that's your attitude, we're going to be in my office doing some counseling. Okay? You still have a family. You're partially responsible for that family. You need to still contribute and still be involved. Don't ignore your role as the spiritual head of the family. Your wife wants you to be the spiritual leader. Most every Christian wife that I've ever counseled over the 30 years of ministry would give whatever you want to put in there to have their husbands be a spiritual leader, he initiates prayer. He initiates, let's go to church. He wants to do some Bible study. He asks, how am I doing spiritually? He asks what I can pray for. It is so simple, but it is so ignored. That's getting to know her. Spending that time. Don't stop romancing your wife. Oh yeah, we got married, so now I caught her, we're done. No, don't do that. Don't do that. What you need to do is get in and know her, lift her up, live with her, learn her, work at these areas. And you have to ask yourself, so how am I doing? We all need work. You say, it's really difficult. Let me remind you. This is so important. God says, if you don't do these things, men, your prayers are hindered you got to work at this. you got to labor at this. You and I have to work at all these areas, gentlemen, the ladies, you have these areas, and we say, but it's so hard. It's so difficult. Remember what it is. Okay, It's a lot of work. It's not impossible, and it'll be of benefit, but remember if you're having difficulty, you go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me out.